it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. So much going on. I'm so glad uh, to be a part of it. Retired General Philip Breedlove is going to be with us shortly. All he was is former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. It's always a privilege to have him on because uh, major NATO meetings happening as we speak. The president's going to be speaking maybe in the middle of our show. We'll take excerpts from it. It is so impactful. It doesn't matter who you voted for. Uh, there is so much at stake because every day the Ukrainians are fighting for freedom in their lives, more importantly, uh, uh, every day that NATO considers as they talk about diplomacy, talk about political things, they have to understand people are literally dying while, while they delay. Uh, and hopefully they have some major announcements because President Zelensky has addressed them already from Kiev. And I'll bring you that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Oh, and then you get all these wackos with their anti-mask, anti-vaccine. So the reason they've um, lifted these mask mandates is because uh, we gave in to this small minority of people who are completely out of their f-ing mind who think masks are some sort of prison sentence and their freedom right. to be the, taken the, away. I've always loved listening to Howard Stern. He is so off base on this. He is so out of his mind. This guy, need he needs a therapist or a different one. Finding it hard to say goodbye. COVID-19 is receding in every aspect of our lives, but restrictions remain in some cases, and the pushback is finally taking place. Much of the outrage of the legendary radio guy will bring you the insanity that remains and why it's still so tough to take. Number two. I think initially he was at 50%. I think people were approving that he didn't get us into a war, but now they see that Biden, they feel, is not really providing American leadership at a time of global crisis. And he's got to step up to that or or the ratings here are going to drag him down along with the rest of the ratings. Mark Penn weighing in. He knows as much as anybody. Republicans uh, are eight months from taking back Congress, perhaps. And the polls show America is ready for a change from woke Green Party, putting the homeless and illegal immigrants first ideology. Now Republicans can rally not just their party, but what about the country? Let's see it happen. Number one. The war of Russia is not only the war against Ukraine. Russia started the war against freedom as it is. This is only the beginning for Russia. Russia is trying to defeat the freedom of all people in Europe, of all the people in the world. That is Vladimir Zelensky. And that, I believe, was from yesterday. Right, Eric? That was from yesterday. So he spoke again today. I'm not sure if we have the translation, but I, but I have roughly some bullet points that he mentioned. One month in... And Ukraine can win. Defying experts and intelligence, the Russians bear uh, is buckling big time. But they are not broken. NATO is rallying at this hour to help more. They have to. Let's hope they see this as an opportunity to to stay, to get rid of this Putin cancer from Eastern Europe and give the Russians a chance at a real legitimate life. We'll bring you the battle on the battlefield. So I'm going to bring you some. Let me just tell you uh, what I know about what Zelensky said to NATO. First off, he didn't ask for admission. Second, he didn't ask for a no-fly zone. 
He knows neither are going to happen. He was talking directly to the people that could make this happen. He says, I need tanks. I need tanks right now. He goes, I need harpoons. I need something to be able to take out Russian ships. Why? Because they're in Odessa, these are my words. They're in Odessa, and if they're able to get on shore, it's going to be really trouble with an amphibious landing. And you could see Putin grabbing Odessa, holding it and saying, you are now landlocked, Ukraine. Keep the rest and because they can't take the capital. Uh, also, he said... Um, they are. He said what's happening in his country. He says they are destroying education systems. They are destroying schools. They are, uh, they are stripping nuclear power plants and their chemical, their chemical production facilities, meaning Ukraine's. My hope is they understand they're in suits and they got that happy talk. They can't do that. This is not a time to talk about the future of NATO. This is time to address the present and then address the future of NATO. They have to act, and they've done a lot of great things, and they've unified in a way I didn't think was possible. I was so tired of hearing about Germany not doing this, the U.K. not doing this, some anger about France, trying to take none of that. The president, I've given up on him actually stepping out front and coming up with innovative ideas. I don't care who does it. I just want them to get these people some armaments. If you have these kamikaze drones, these switchblade drones, you got to get them to them. So let me just bring you to what's happening, and, and I think it's important for you to know this. Uh, Kiev is not only not being penetrated, it looks like as a tactic the Russians are digging in. But they're also being pushed out of, back to, uh, out of some suburban areas, uh, which is very noteworthy because that means the Ukrainians feel strong enough to be able to leave the capital and push back into the suburbs or push them back, hopefully to make those uh, – to put some of those rockets out of reach. I'm not sure. In Mariupol, they say 2,400 uh, have been killed. They are averaging uh, dead bodies about 100 a day. That's how brutal it is. Overall, according to an unnamed NATO official who talked to the AP, there are 40,000 Russians who have been killed, captured, looked at as missing or wounded. 40,000. Is that unbelievable? If you think about this, I don't care if they're dead, as long as they're not fighting. Now, they started with 150,000. They're begging Syrians to fight. I don't know if they have other conscripts that are going to be coming in. But if they've lost 40,000 out of the 100,000 after a month. Now, I hear, according to the Russians, I never believed they were the Soviet Union at the time. But they say they lost 10,000 in 10 years in Afghanistan. They've lost between 10 and 15,000 dead, dead Russians already. And this is their neighbor. I mean, it's right there. They know the terrain for the most part. They didn't know really Afghanistan, how difficult it was going to be. But they thought they were going to walk into the Russian-speaking areas like Kharkiv, and they were going to go, hey, I'm here. Okay, take over. i like to see the new mayor. Instead, they're capturing people, forcing them into camps. They captured two mayors. Uh, they, took, they kidnapped and replaced them. It wasn't accepted. They brought one back already. They took Kyrgyzstan, and uh, Kyrgyzstan has been so, so full of unrest that they basically are present, but they haven't been looking to govern. So they're not going to be taking over a single city. And that's what I think is important. I'm going to bring that up uh, with, uh, with General Breedlove in a moment. So, uh, and we'll talk about that. What I want to hear them say is they can win. I want to see aspirational, motivational, inspirational words from the president. Put it in the prompter. Somebody with some optimism. Jake Sullivan won't say it. In fact, on purpose, I didn't even give any sound bites from Jake Sullivan. He just says nothing, and he's not none of those things I just mentioned. But Jan Stoltenberg spoke this morning. I believe our president was the only leader not to speak. Cut to. Russia must stop its 
nuclear saber rattling. This is dangerous and it is irresponsible. Any use of nuclear weapons will fundamentally change the nature of the conflict and Russia must understand that a nuclear war should never be fought and never and they can never win a nuclear war. Uh, you know, and then the doors close and we don't know. Uh, I'll just tell you what the rundown says, and we'll see if the president spe- uh, speaks to that. No, I guess not, because at 10 after uh, Eastern time, the, the president takes a family photo with the G7. I haven't seen that, so they're running behind. At uh, 15 after, the president will attend and deliver remarks at the G7. So you got the NATO, the G7, and I believe there's an EU meeting. Uh, he'll motivate, he'll depart there, and then going to go to en route to EU. Of course, the U.K. won't be there. Uh, they're still angry at that. But the U.K. has been great. They're sending over 7,000 more rockets uh, to the Ukrainians. My question is, I know you can't tell me, but I need to know they're getting these armaments. I know these cities like Kharkiv and Mariupol are not getting any provisions. We know that the Russians are aiming for food. They're blowing up any warehouse facility that's housing food. They are aiming for theaters, schools, and hospitals. I mean, this is the utter definition of war crime. That's how evil these people are. I mean, number one, don't just say, well, I'm in the Army, I have to take my orders. I mean, do you have to sleep at night? You're blowing up hospitals? Kirk LePold, you know, he was uh, the last in charge of the call, USS Cole, telling it like it is, and he says, this is what we need to do right now. Cut seven. The effort by the Russians has stalled, and at this point, while the Russians may be bleeding out, the Ukrainians have also suffered extensive personnel and casualties with their equipment as well. They are degraded, and the key thing that we can do now is the U.S., along with our European allies, needs to get more lethal equipment into Ukraine that have better standoff ranges so that we can give them the ability to take out more Russians quicker at greater distances, and seeing that today, that that video was absolutely awesome because it indeed showed it doesn't matter what your religion or stripe is. Those are Ukrainians fighting for freedom and should make everybody proud. Obviously, uh, I know you're watching us on Fox Nation, but we don't really have video component to this in terms of the video that the commander is talking about. And it shows the Ukrainians blowing up a Russian ship after it offloaded a whole bunch of tanks. They're looking for an amphibious landing. They're looking to take Odessa, fi- finish off a place called Miklik, uh, Miklovic, uh, which has been holding on admirably, but it is buried. It is rubbled, and they're having a hard time, and they are, at the very least, delaying the Odessa invasion. I hope they have enough fighting force there, but if you've seen this video, they are blasting Bon Jovi, This Is My Life, while filling up sandbags to set up a barrier on the beach. So odd. It almost looks like you're fortifying Aruba. This is like a resort, never meant to be invaded. Reportedly, according to Europe, the European uh, Europeans love the vacation there. Not for a while. And Vladimir Putin lost a key aide, evidently, kind of on the outs of recently, but he's one of the few to transition from the Yeltsin era to this era. He has decided to go elsewhere. They saw video of him at a, uh, at a machine, at an ATM, and he left. Uh, also, the FSB, uh, they, uh, a few FSB officers, disillusions with what they're seeing there are increasingly, this according to the Daily Mail, the Russian president said to blame the FSB for the failure to quickly take control of the country. That's the new KGB. The FSB officers, meanwhile, are becoming disillusioned 
with the increasingly oppressive sanctions imposed uh, by the West on Russia, citing this source, according to the U.K. newspapers, uh, told the newspaper that this, uh, this has meant the country's high-flying Secret Service agents have been prevented from traveling on holidays, have been able to get, get to their money, take their kids to Disneyland Paris, or live their life. So far, the, the ruble's been uh, down 30%, somewhat bounced back. The first wave of sanctions, the shock is over, but the sanctions are being felt. What we have to do is find a quick way to get the Europeans from buying two-thirds of their oil and gas from Russia. You do that. And then they'll really be brought to their knees. Grain is the other thing that they uh, they are uh, exporting, but we can get that from other places. Even Europe realizes that. My hope is they see this reality, an opportunity to, to deeply, deeply wound the Russian army, put them to bed for 20 years, get rid of Vladimir Putin at the end of this, and then bring the Russian people back in. one 408 7669 I want to take your calls, get your impression. I also want to talk about the polls. I mean, overwhelmingly, the American people are disillusioned with the Democrats. Uh, Republicans are meeting right now at Ponte Vedra, Florida. Uh, WOKV listeners know that place well. And uh, they're coming up with a strategy over the next seven months. It's theirs to win. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk about the remaining restrictions, COVID-19. Tell me what's still left in your life. Is it work, remote, working remotely? Is it mass restaurants? Like in California, you still got to wear. Do you have to get a test before you go to a concert still? This idiocy still happening? You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call's next. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have tried uh, on numerous occasions to connect Secretary Austin with his counterpart, Chairman Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has also tried to connect with his counterpart. We've made multiple uh, uh, ch- uh, multiple uh, attempts here, uh, but they have not uh, they have not answered up. They've declined to, to take these calls. Now, I will say that it's not like we don't have any communication with the Russians. Our, we could do that through our embassy. We have a, det- a defense attache in Moscow. We have a deconfliction line, of course, that uh, that we're using. It's really not so, so much for normal comms, but so there are vehicles. We still have military to military communications uh, with the Russians, but at the senior level. Uh, where we think it's really important, particularly right now, that's uh, not happening, and it's not happening because the Russians don't seem to be interested. Well, here's one, one of the reasons. That was Admiral Kirby literally minutes ago, and that's a story in the Washington Post today that every time uh, Mark Milley and company reach out or Secretary Austin reach out, they, they don't get a response. Not even when that's not like when they're mad at you or we're not talking to you, they just don't call. And I think one of the reasons is the guy that they always lean on is missing. We haven't seen him. There's somebody said he's uh, a report that he's not well. Russians are notorious. You probably don't remember this. But in the, uh, they, when Brezhnev was a longtime leader there, when he was basically dead, they said he had a cold. And then the next guy, uh, Chert, uh, Cherninkov or something like that, they hired him. He died like three weeks later. Then Andropov got hired, and he died. And they every single time, they're like, he's got a cold, and they end up dead. So they're never going to be honest. And it would be too embarrassing to take your head of your uh, military and just uh, kill him, I guess. Uh, may, might be an indica- indication that uh, you're losing. 
but he's disappeared. At a time in which you need a Schwarzkopf or you need a Rumsfeld or you need a Secretary Austin out there telling everyone militarily what's going on or General Petraeus, gone. So they say maybe that's the reason why they're not getting calls back. But it's dangerous, really dangerous, because evidently the Russians are doing some maneuvers and doing some exercises in the area. We're doing exercises over in Norway. So do you want to misinterpret then? They got within 15 miles of the Polish border. Don't you want a phone uh, to be able to deconflict should something happen? And what Admiral Stavidis in the same story was uh, came out and said— says, you know, you, you know, we're mature. We've been through it. I've been doing this for 40 years, and the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO has been doing it, and these lawmakers have been doing it. But, you know, the pilot is 25 years old or something, 27 years old. They see somebody coming at them, and they, they'll take them out, not thinking that's Russian or that's, uh, that's an American. Oops, we have a world war. So that's what's at stake. And, and that's why I was struck by this polling, and I just want to share with you with Fox News. Can I just say it's heartening because uh, there's not much difference between how Republicans and Democrats feel about it. I had no idea how you guys felt about it. I knew from a moment one this, this Ukraine was worth, uh, worth getting involved with. Uh, didn't think it was ever going to come down to us putting people on the ground, but worth being very involved in. It does affect our national interest. Fox News poll. Should we be doing more to help the Ukrainians? 63% of Americans said yes. Uh, another, another question. Uh, concerned about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. How many Americans are concerned? 82%. That's pretty much why wherever I go, people bring this up. And instead of Russian hoax or collusion or anything like that, uh, where people were angry, people are more inquisitive about this. Those are my words. Fox, another uh, question. Ukrainian President Zelensky, job, what kind of job has he done responding to the Russian invasion? 76% of you approve of it. By the way, great specials out. Uh, I'm lucky enough to host it. It's called Who Is uh, Vladimir Zelensky? It's on Fox Nation. We're going to have an expanded special on Fox News Sunday at 10 o'clock. Does what happens in Russia, Ukraine, conflict conflict matter? Hmm. Does what happens in the Russian-Ukraine conflict matter in the U.S.? 85% said yes in February. 76% say yes now. Um, So it actually went up. Uh, went down slightly, but it's still overwhelming. And the last question, should the U.S. be doing more to help? 68% of Democrats say yes, 64% say Republicans. Isn't it good to do a poll that doesn't show such dramatically different opinions and views? I'm telling you, a lot of good stuff is happening uh, because we're acting as one because of the horror that's happening in the Ukraine. Not a perfect country, but man, they are the good guys in this, and they are showing tremendous resolve and fortitude. Brian Kilmeade Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
I'm sure you understand that Russia doesn't want to stop on Ukraine. It wants to go further uh, against the eastern members of NATO, Baltic countries, uh, Poland, that's for sure. Uh, if uh, uh, Will NATO stop uh, thinking and worrying about this, how Russia will react? Who can be sure? So the, the voiceover person, hardly uh, optimum, but that's uh, President Zelensky showing some great strength and also great vision to say, hey, I appreciate the support, but this is you're not only supporting me when you support me. We're supporting uh, if you could we could stop him here. We'll stop future attacks because they are coming. Uh, and if this guy stays in power. I think they're just going to be put off a few years until he really because now he realizes he has a terrible military. So uh, I, I just admire so much what Zelensky seems to hit the right tone and so smart to work almost every parliament uh, in the free world. Japan yesterday. He had Italy the day before. And then today he addressed uh, he addressed NATO and maybe he'll do it with the European Union again. And two things he said, he said, I'm not looking. He did not bring up. I need admission into NATO. And he did not say he needed no fly zone. A guy who knows the ins and outs of military as well as diplomacy. Retired General uh, Philip Breedlove, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO and distinguished chair at the Middle East Institute. Uh, General, great to talk to you twice in one day. I talked to you on Fox and Friend this morning. Yeah, it's good to see you again there. And. I look forward to our conversation here. Right. So a couple of things have happened. What I just told you is uh, a couple of readouts from his address. He says he needs tanks. He didn't ask for admission to NATO, and he didn't ask for a no-fly zone. Can we get him the tanks? He also said, I need things that are going to take out ships like harpoons. So tell me what you now know or what we, what our listeners should now know about this fight. Well, let's let's address the coastal defense cruise missiles. I won't use the word harpoons because I believe our country has decided not to move harpoons to Ukraine. But the good news is that NATO has several countries that have excellent coastal defense cruise missiles. And so I'm hoping that while there, our delegation are talking to the Norwegians and the Poles and others that have this capability, and maybe we can work a deal to get um, uh, those capabilities to um, Ukraine. You saw this morning reporting of two large ships destroyed in uh, in one of the small coastal uh, ports of Ukraine, and this was done uh, very uh, uh, interestingly by the Ukrainians with a what is supposed to be a surface-to-surface um, uh, ground capability. They shot a ship, and they shot a, a ammo depot next to another ship that, was, that caused it to catch a fire. And so the Russians lost two large combatants this morning while they were parked at port on southern uh, Ukrainian shore. General, why wouldn't we give harpoons? Um, I think that there are some uh, what our government believes are releasability problems. Um, I was disappointed in uh, Admiral Kirby's answer the other day about, you know, he said they might sit um, uh, and rust on the port. Let me just point out that every weapon we have given the Ukrainians, they have used incredibly well. They have used them in just incredible new ways. And this went all the way back to 2014, where we we gave them uh, uh, counter battery mortar radars that we digitally limited because we were uh, our government was afraid they would shoot into to uh, Russia using them. And and what we found was the Ukrainians figured out how to lash these things together 
and use them in ways that we had never thought about, and now they're teaching us about how to use our radar. So I think that we should give the Ukrainians every opportunity that we can. Absolutely. He wants tanks. Can he get tanks? Can we, Or are those tanks the ones he has is the ones he's, he's going to get? Can we get tanks in there? Um, this, yeah, I'm not sure on this one. This is a this is a little bit harder to do, um, and uh, I, I, we really have got to look at that. This is a new kind of request, and um, I, I think we need to do a little bit of introspection before we we jump out there. The fact of the matter is, there are tanks that we could probably move across, but are they the kind? that Ukraine could use immediately, et cetera. So I'd rather hold fire on that till we get a chance to look at it. Right. Uh, now, just a civilian suggestion, so please be tolerant. We have drones. Drones are dropping blood in Africa in these remote locations. And I'm wondering why we can't use drones to drop water and food and MREs into Maripol and uh, Mikhaev. And all these places, Kharkiv, that are just being starved out. Well, I think it is a, a good idea. I wouldn't be hauling water because that's a lot of weight for very little gain. But that, but, but your other ideas are wonderful. Medicines and other things where you get a lot of bang for the weight that you're hauling. I think those would be some really good things to look at. And oh, by the way. The Ukrainians are using some of these little quadcopters, actually they're heavy duty, but small quadcopters and everything to do some really interesting things to include dropping bombs on the Russians at night. Um, you know, small bombs, but bombs that would are anti-personnel. So uh, we're already starting to see some really ingenious uh, work with these kind of capabilities. I'm sorry, what, is, what are those called? You mean they have their, they have helicopters? No, no, these are the, the you, you remember the little, like you go out to the store and buy a quadcopter, these little toy four um, uh, propeller um, yeah. drones. And, and so there are larger of them, uh, heavy-duty quadcopters. And uh, Ukrainians have outfitted them with infrared uh, cameras wow. and are using them at night to drop munitions on Russian troops. That is that is absolutely incredible. Uh, so a couple of things. Why of tactically would the Russians be digging in around uh, Kiev? Uh, do they realize because, they can't penetrate it and they just want to shell it? Well, what they what they are demonstrating to us is they have either run out of the ability to continue forward uh, offensively, or they've encountered such stiff resistance that they are taking a pause to to get, quote-unquote, get more ready. But what it clearly says is they have lost the, uh, the ability to push forward or they would be doing that. And they must have a plan either to reinforce or, as you said, now uh, sit and, and do what they've done in, in Mariupol, Kharkiv, and other places, which is just begin indiscriminate uh, shelling and bombing of, of the civilians. Because they're frustrated because the, the Ukrainians are doing a great job of not giving Russia a big force-on-force right. force battle. We're fight, the Ukrainians are fighting a skirmishing, hit, stick, and move kind of fight that is really bleeding the Russian army. 
General, before this started, reports were that the Russians were a lot better equipped than we thought they ended up being. We thought they were much more formidable than they ended up being. We found out that they didn't even they hit from too many sides. There was no communication. They didn't even have a commander in charge of the overall operation. And then we find out that we predicted that Kiev would fall within a week and Zelensky would be dead. So those are the insider reports of what this conflict was going to be like. Why were we so wrong? And and, and it, you must have seen those same reports. We over yeah. We over uh, we over. Uh, I, I guess overemphasized the the competency of the Russians, and we we undersold the Ukrainians. How could we be so wrong? Well, a couple of things. For for instance, one of them, you know that I was over in uh, Ukraine about 10 days before the fighting began. And one of the things that, that the president, Zelensky, told our little group was that you and, and, frankly, Brian, you, the American press, have been watching so closely what's going on with the buildup of Russian forces and have been so focused on that because it's great news that what you missed is the preparation of my nation. And what you also missed is that the war is already going on in my nation. Sabotage, cyber attacks, all manner of things were already happening inside Ukraine, but we all missed it because we were focused on the really cool news of the buildup along the outside of the borders. And so the first thing, uh, Brian, is that the Ukrainian military did an incredibly good job of preparing this defense in depth that they're fighting. And then second goes right to the points you made. You hit them all. We, we I believe, felt that Russia was much more competent than it's, it's proven to be. You know the old adage in the military is that, that um, um, anyone can talk operations and amateurs do. But professionals talk logistics, and that's what's happened here. Um, You know, there was a big focus, I think, on Russia on getting in there, getting this quick victory and getting out, and they absolutely did not prepare themselves for having to fight like they are. And so they weren't ready to command and control. They weren't ready to logistically support. Their Air Force has not been able to do what we call SEED, suppression of enemy air defenses, so they have not gained air superiority over the battlefield. All these things we thought they would be able to do, uh, they either are not able to do them or they didn't expect to have to do them because they expected an easy victory and to be welcomed with roses. I just don't understand how you could, you could have an operation where there's no communication. I mean, they were, they're using, and I'll just say it in layman's terms, they're using... Uh, the cellular service of the Ukrainians who blocked the, the Russian prefixes. So they're happy to, so we hear the Ukrainians be able to pick up all their interplay. And in fact, the New York Times today on their front page had audio of 15 minutes of fighting. And you hear the panic among the Russian tankers. And they're saying, where are you going? I don't know where you're going. I'm not going over there. These guys are totally disorganized. And they don't even know what each other's are doing. So they just published this. On the front page of the New York Times, if you have a digital version, I think you'll get it. So, so General, tell me what is wrong with this. What is wrong well, with is, the uh, – I'll let you comment on that, but then I'll add another question. Go ahead. It is shocking. and uh, But, again, let's give a little credit to the Ukrainians. They are jamming and using their ability to disrupt what little communications 
the Russians have had. And, you know, depending on who you listen to, the Ukrainians have killed five or six general officers. Almost every one of them was because they were using their cell phone because they couldn't communicate on their tactical communications. So in some cases, they did bring comm capabilities, but the Ukrainians are doing a good job of what we call electronic warfare, and they're jamming them. But again, Brian, you're right. They just didn't come prepared. And again, I think it I, it goes back to their expectation that this was going to be an easy walk and that they would be welcomed with open hands, and they just didn't come prepared for the fight that they have found. I know from the military level, you guys must be, I bet you can't wait to analyze all this. But I, my last question to you is this. What is wrong with the president saying, and even John Stoltenberg, who runs NATO now, Ukrainians can win. We have to do what's necessary for the Ukrainians to win. Is there something in, in the diplomatic world that would be bad about saying that? Because I think that we de- they deserve us to say that and make us the ob- and make that the objective. Uh, uh, so, Brian, I'm I am uh, going to go out on a limb here, and I'm probably going to be criticized, but I believe that we are still deterred, and our the Western nations and the leadership of Western nations are afraid of saying and doing anything that would provoke. Mr. Putin, and saying that it looks like he's going to lose, remember that would be a big face-saving problem uh, for Mr. Putin, who a lot of this is about uh, him now, and this is his war. You've seen him dismissing some of his senior most people. A couple of them now have a heart problem and all these things. They're going And that's away. the head of the military, and, right? That's correct, and so we need to be, I think, I don't sign up to this, but I believe that there's a feeling that we need to be less provocative about these things okay. for fear of tripping Mr. Putin into something Understood. Uh, more absurd. Understood, because you've you got to give him an off-ramp and save face, because it would save lives. But I, I just think a, a time in which they get to keep a third of the country, if they get Odessa and say, okay, we got enough, we're going to hold on to Donbass, Crimea, and Odessa, and be able to spin it for the next two years to their oblivious nation that they won, uh, and not care about the 15,000 bodies they left, they're going to come back stronger. Yeah, that's, that, that's what that's worries me. That's a huge me. problem, huge problem. And I, I believe that President Zelensky's got a mind for not giving them that land. And, and I hope that we don't pressure him in any way and allow him to negotiate based on the fact that his military is now delivering. His strength in negotiation is going up every day. Well, I hope you. I hope you would. Uh, wouldn't mind if I kept you on speed dial. I can't wait to get your perspective because after NATO, you used to be going behind closed doors with them. Uh, they're going to open up and tell us what they're going to, uh, and their communication is going to be fascinating and impactful. Retired General Philip Breedlove, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right, fantastic. All right, when we come back. Uh, I know you have a lot to say. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. There is a reason why Marianna Williamson and Joaquin Castro and Pete Buttigieg 
and half a dozen other people whose names you and I can't recall at this moment lasted longer in the Democratic presidential sweepstakes in 2020 than she did. And that's because she's a terrible candidate. She was a dreadful senator. She's a one-trick pony. I am the, the tough-nosed prosecutor asking you a nasty question. She doesn't do her homework. She has got a big ego. She's got sharp edges. She's difficult to work with and work for. And she is a terrible vice president. And that is Karl Rove yesterday talking about the news is coming out of this book from two New York Times writers, not some, you know, Mark Levin didn't write a book about Kamala Harris without any sources. Uh, Obviously, they're not inside Democrats. These people are. And evidently, uh, Kamala Harris has been a nightmare. She has felt slighted by aides when they did not stand up when she entered a room. Really? The vice president took it as a sign of disrespect. Harris' allies in recent months have attempted to reset her office, but instead two more people have quit. It's now up to 10. Uh, So she felt slighted constantly by getting that portfolio, which talked about the border. She didn't want to do that. This is all in that book called This Will Not Pass, Trump, Biden, and the Battle for America's Future. Some of Harris's advisors believe the president's almost entirely white inner circle did not show the vice president the respect she deserved. Harris worried that Biden's staff looked down on her. She fixated on real and perceived snubs in ways the West Wing found tedious. That, according to Politico, uh, the book says Harris had her chief of staff, Tina Flournoy, speak with Anita Dunn, a senior advisor for Biden at the time, about her discontent, about not standing. The vice president took it as a sign of disrespect. Unbelievable. I mean, can you believe this? What you do as a vice president and as a worker, you go in there, you have a chance to establish yourself, go to the border, find out the parameters, go make your relationship with Central and South America, sit there with Border Patrol, win the respect of law enforcement, let them know you're doing everything possible, and if the things you try don't work out, don't let it be from lack of trying, let it be from a program or an idea that didn't work. Instead, she did not try, and it had to be harangued to go to the border. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got Mark Teason standing by. Dr. Oz from Pennsylvania. He got fired by Joe Biden yesterday. Then a simulcast from Varney and Company, a special edition. So before we get to Mark, let's get to the big three as we come to you live from New York. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Oh, and then you get all these wackos with their anti-mask, anti-vaccine. The reason they've um, lifted these mask mandates is because uh, we gave in to this small minority of people who are completely out of their mind who think masks are some sort of prison sentence and their freedom right. to be the, taken the, away. He's out of his mind. The masks don't even work unless you have an N95 that's fitted, finding it hard to say goodbye. COVID-19 is receding in every aspect of our lives, but the restrictions remain, and the pushback is finally taking place to the restrictions. We'll bring you the insanity that remains and also why it's so, so tough to take. 
Number two. I think initially he was at 50%. I think people were approving that he didn't get us into a war, but now they see that Biden, they feel, is not really providing American leadership at a time of global crisis. And he's got to step up to that, or, or the ratings here are going to drag him down along with the rest of the ratings. Mark Penn knows what he's talking about. Republicans, eight months from taking back Congress. And polls show America's ready for a change from the woke. Green Party putting the homeless and illegal immigrant first ideology. Now Republicans can rally, not just for their party, but for the country. Will they? Number one. The war of Russia is not only the war against Ukraine. Russia started the war against freedom as it is. This is only the beginning for Russia. Russia is trying to defeat the freedom of all people in Europe, of all the people in the world. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky is doing just that one month and 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 Ukraine can win. Defying expectations, intelligence, the Russian bear is buckling but not broken. NATO is rallying at this hour. My fingers are crossed. Let's hope they see this as an opportunity to put Putin, who's a cancer to Eastern Europe, out of power once and for all. We'll bring you the latest from the battlefield uh, and the latest from Brussels. With the President of the United States, I believe, is now going to the EU. Uh, meeting. Uh, motorcades departing. Well, the motorcade is departing in a half hour from NATO headquarters to EU headquarters. At one point, he's going to speak. Mark Thiessen, I'm going to ask you to speak now. You are uh, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Mark, so far, I asked General Breedlove this, who is former Supreme Allied commander. Is there a downside to saying we have to do everything that Ukraine wins? And he says there is, because that eliminates an off-ramp for Vladimir Putin. What do you think? I I have to say that's ridiculous. The idea that we should not go for total victory and give uh, to to appease Vladimir Putin is is part of the problem that we've had from the very beginning of this. I mean, think about where we were in Ukraine. The whole world, Vladimir Putin last July issued a manifesto, an 8,000-word manifesto, explaining his rationale for the subjugation of Ukraine. While Ukraine and the Russians were one people and that the collapse of the Soviet Union had left millions of Ukrainians abroad overnight, separated from their motherland, how the West was trying to turn Ukraine into a springboard to attack Russia and how he wouldn't allow that to do. Anyone who read that manifesto knew that he was going to invade. But instead, we, we, we instead of arming the Ukrainians and preparing them for their defense and giving them like the MiGs, for example, before Russia invaded, when there was no problem and no one could have objected, we, we said no. Biden said, no, 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 that will provoke them. So, OK, so they invade. And then no one thought they could win. If you looked on paper, any military analyst would look and say, look at the Russian forces, look at the Ukrainian forces. It's going to be over in three days. And here we are a month later. And, and, the, and the Ukrainians and the Russians haven't been able to achieve their goals. And so just Biden just issues like $800 million in, in, in weapons to them last week. He could have done that three weeks ago. He could have given them all those things from the first day of the war. Absolutely. But instead, he was, trying to, he was trying to avoid defeat as opposed to achieve victory, right? What, what I, what, and so now we're in a position ahead, where we know he can lose. We know the Ukrainians can win. We should be giving them everything possible to send Putin back with his tail between his legs. And the, by the way, for not selling them harpoons that can take out ships from the shore— uh, or anything yep. like that is is uh, horrific. And evidently, they say uh, Admiral Kirby said yesterday they would be rusting on the shore. Are you kidding me? They've been brilliant in, in almost by everybody's account, been brilliant at using what we've given them. 
but we need to be able to get there. I don't know. I don't know what's getting in and out. And I think it's good that we don't know how. But we need to know that it's getting in, just at least a thumbs up. We have all this money. I think the U.K. just said, here's 7,000 more rockets. My question is, are they getting to the capitals, to the Ukrainian forces? Yeah, we don't know the answer to that. We don't know what the Ukrainians are getting now. Uh, all we know is that it's too little, too late. Uh, and the Ukrainians need everything they can because they can win this. You know, like you, I'm sure, Brian, and like millions of your, uh, of your listeners, I wake up every morning and the first thing I do is look to see if Ukraine's still standing. I've been doing that for, for a month now, every single day. Americans are inspired by President Zelensky. They're inspired by the Ukrainians, and we want them to win. And Joe Biden needs to understand something, is that if, if, you, if Russia were to win, after America's hopes have gotten so high for the Ukrainians and, our, and, our, and we've become emotionally invested with these people, and, and, and that it would be a setback for him politically worse than Afghanistan with the Afghan withdrawal, because it would mean that he didn't do enough to help them win, because we now know that they can win. And if, we, if they lose, it'll be because we didn't provide them with a weapon. So even if he doesn't care about, uh, care about uh, saving Ukraine, he ought to care about saving himself. And he needs a victory in Ukraine to do that. Right. And, but the thing is, uh, nobody thinks he's leading here. And I, I mean, listen, he doesn't no. have a lot of charisma. He's not a great speaker. <laughs> never was. But nobody thinks he's leading. The my thing is, don't hurt then. Look at the arsenal the American people have given you. And then do everything you can to achieve that objective. And what do you want to say publicly, you know, because this guy is so emotionally fragile. You don't want him getting desperate to use chemical weapons. But I don't like that whole, I mean, what are we so worried about outside the weapons of mass destruction, which is big. They're not going to be attacking Poland when they can't get through Ukraine. They're not even going to be going to Kaliningrad and stocking up and going to Lithuania and Latvia. Because then they're going to get totally annihilated. They have to be wondering what happened to my fighting force. The general in charge has disappeared. They lost one of the key aides that actually was in his government since the 90s, just left with his family to another country. They've lost 14,000 people to Turkey. And listen to this. According to a NATO official, overall, they have lost 40,000 men from from the battlefield between death, casualties, missing, and capture. 40,000. Wow. Does that blow you away? That's more than the 10 years in uh, 10 years of the Soviet war in Afghanistan, which was what brought down the so helped bring down the Soviet Union. I mean, you know, th- here's the thing we need to understand is that Ukraine is not just a problem for us to solve. It's actually an opportunity because Vladimir Putin has been building up his military to threaten NATO for years. And this was the, supposed to be the first step in it. Every MiG that we take out is one less MiG that the Ukrainians take out with our help is one less MiG that can threaten Poland and the Baltic states and NATO. Every tank is one less tank. Every every uh, yep. battalion that we take is one less battalion. This is an opportunity for us to to decimate the Russian military by proxy. Why would we not take it? We should we should be we should want we should want them to be going out with it. And you know something? I'll tell you about the chemical weapons. Where do you think uh, Vladimir Putin got those chemical weapons? He got them, a lot of them, from Syria, because Barack Obama would not enforce his red line in Syria after Syria's use of chemical weapons. And so John Kerry cut a deal with, with Sergei Lavrov for Russia to take custody of Syria's chemical weapons. So if Putin were to use those chemical weapons, he'd be using the ones that Obama gave him from Syria instead of blowing them up. 
Oh, that's got to be in one of your columns. What a brilliant memory you have. That is fantastic. I do remember the genius Secretary of State who still is yep. commenting about how he hopes Vladimir Putin still commits to green energy as he invades another country. Good Lord. Yeah, I mean, no kidding. Uh, so the guy that left, Antonio Chubis, was in charge. He was their yep. climate guy. So now you talk about yep. sadness. For the first time, John Kerry is probably sad about this conflict because he lost somebody it, to talk it, climate with. Because it, it finally affected something that matters. <laughs> so, so a couple of things are going on. The ruble is down now just 30 percent. Russian banks are blocked from carrying out transactions on global shipping um, and deliveries. Uh, deliveries to ports have gone down considerably. The GDP is supposed to retract about 15 percent. But the thing that's blunting everything is their continued steady sales of energy, of energy to Europe. So knowing the Germans came out and said, listen, I can't cut it off. I'll go into an immediate recession. The U.K. and U.S. have stopped. What could, we, what could you do if you really wanted to get them instantly off? What could you announce today uh, in Brussels? I, we would, I mean, a, a, a sanctions on energy as opposed to as opposed to an oil ban, uh, which is what Biden announced. We need to sanction their energy use. And also, by the way, we should not be cutting a deal with Iran that includes a permission for them to bid to earn ten billion dollars building civilian nuclear power for the Iranians. That would be really stupid. So, I mean, first, I go back to your point earlier. First, let's do no harm before we do good. Like, do, why are we sitting at the negotiating table with the Russians while we're at the you know, over Iran when we're trying to isolate them? And why would we be allowing them any economic benefit from Iran deal when we're trying to cr- crush their economy? Oh. It's it's like it's like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing in the Obama administration in the Biden administration. Sorry, Freudian slip <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the Biden administration. It's, 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 it's stop, a- stop causing making things worse. I just thought it was funny in your newspaper. I think it was the Washington Post, the New York Times. It's basically the same thing. Uh, the Washington Post is saying that, well, you know what? The Democrats are doing a great job not blaming Trump for this because uh, it would have been very easy for them to do it. The president's trying to stay unified. Blaming Trump for this? Why? Because for a month, maybe there was no weapons, but they ended up flowing there for the four years he was in office, unlike the MREs and blankets that Barack Obama did. And didn't even respond to anything except some sanctions and some oligarchs who never felt them. And now you were worried about blaming Trump for this? Nobody thinks it's going to happen if Donald Trump was in office. But it shows you the warped sensibility of some people who have a lot of power. Yeah, you know, it's it's no coincidence that Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine in 2014 under Obama and in 2022 under Biden and didn't invade uh, for the four years of the Trump administration. And, and as you pointed out, the, the president, the then president, Poroshenko of, of Ukraine, came and spoke to Congress in 2014 when Biden was vice president. Biden was sitting right behind him while he spoke. And he said, we thank you for the MREs, but we need RPGs. We need weapons. We can't we can't defend our country with blankets. And the Biden Obama Biden administration gave them nothing. They gave them humanitarian aid. They wouldn't give them any lethal weapons at all. Trump gave them lethal weapons, except for, as you say, a one mo- a very unfortunate one month delay, uh, which which uh, I don't want to relitigate. But beyond that, they gave them everything they asked for. And then the Biden, the Biden administration came in and suspended it, and had a review, and 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 wasted months 
while, while right. Vladimir Putin was, was building up his arms. We should have been shipping them everything possible before the war to defend this and deter this from happening in the first place. So Mark Thiessen, my guest, but Mark, let's just give the audience some information. We know that President Zelensky has already addressed NATO, at which time he never asked for admission and he never asked for a no-fly zone. He did ask for more weapons. He stressed that this isn't just his fight. They're going for Poland. He's going for the Baltics after. He's saying he wants tanks and he wants weapons to defend himself from the sea. An amphibious landing is what he worries about. Norm News, we just came across, the U.S. will accept 100,000 refugees uh, from anywhere, I mean, from Ukraine. So that's uh, 100,000. I mean, we, we took about that from Afghanistan, uh, maybe more. So I think the American people are all on board in that. I'm amazed how in support the American people are for this operation. But I just want to I, I know you can appreciate this. Here's Neil Ferguson of Hoover. He says, hold on, Russia still might be accomplishing its goals. Cut 12. The key here is that the Russians aren't ready to negotiate in earnest because they still think that they can make gains And Vladimir Putin wants to negotiate from the strongest possible position. So one has to watch very carefully over the next few weeks. Can the Russians achieve what they're trying to achieve, which is to roll up the Ukrainian defenses in Donbass and also make further gains in the the south uh, along the Black Sea coast? I think the possibility of uh, besieging Kiev is is on hold and and may even have been Mm -hmm. dropped. So they're looking to make gains before they negotiate in earnest. I think that's right. So look forward. Tell me, Mark, what's next? So the first thing is, if you think if you believe that Niall is correct, then the answer is is to throw everything at him to put him in the weakest position to negotiate possible and give him no options for to negotiate from strength. That 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 that's number one. Number two, you you mentioned that uh, that he didn't Zelensky didn't ask to join NATO. You know what? The, you know what the joke is in Kiev right now. After this war is over, I'm sorry, I should say Keith. After after this war is over, NATO can apply to join Ukraine. <laughs> we would we would be we would be we should be honored at the possibility that Na- that Ukraine would even consider joining NATO because they would actually make our our uh, they, they, we, to to admit the country that defeated the Russian the Russian Red Army uh, would probably make NATO stronger than a lot of the members that we already have. I hear you, uh, Mark. I hear your desperation. You've been very solid throughout this. And to keep this all in perspective, that's why people read your columns and wait on your comments. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Take care. You got it. Bottom of the hour, uh, Dr. Oz. Why he was fired by Joe Biden and why he believes it should have been Anthony Fauci that should have fired, got fired. Then we do Varney and Company, do a simulcast there. I'll be able to take your calls next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. President Biden wants to go over there and show a force or a sense of unity uh, that the United States has been very happy about between the White House, between the U.S. and between Europe. But there is a, a at least one piece where they don't seem 100 percent on the same page, and that is uh, on energy. Europe is is in a much different position than the United States is with regard to Russian oil and gas. They rely on uh, Russia for 40 percent of their gas. So it's a lot harder for them to come out and say, we're going to embargo this. And keep in mind, Nord Stream 2 is dead, but Nord Stream 1 is alive, and that's flowing into Europe, and they can't get off it right now without going into recession. I would think there would be, might be something to that. Eric, WOKV. Hey, Eric. 
Hey, Brian, great show today as usual. Um, that last caller, he hit it right on the head pretty much that NATO is going to ask to join the Ukraine because the United States' word has been thrown in the garbage so many times lately, and Trump tried to rebuild it. But as soon as Trump's gone, they cancel everything again. Nobody's ever going to believe a word this country says. Go ahead. We got your back. We don't have anybody's back. Sam, well, your take. I mean, yeah, what about some precision weapons out there? Obviously, we did a great job training the Ukrainians. We, we were in there for a while. Obviously, they do have some weaponry. but And I don't know what exactly is getting in. But you know those— uh, those uh, those drones, those uh, those kamikaze drones, they're not in there yet. I mean, you got to be kidding me. How could they not be in there yet? That was two weeks ago. I have no idea why they were weaving in ahead of time. And as uh, General Kellogg is always saying, use some imagination. If you can't get anything in by ground in terms of provisions, can you go by air? Is there something else you could drop? If drones can, can carry missiles, can they also carry food? Brian Kilmichel. Well, we're on with Dr. Oz next. Don't move. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I want to make sure we're really out of this before I really seriously consider doing anything different. We're still in this. We have a way to go. I think we're clearly going in the right direction. I hope we stay that way. Anthony Fauci over the weekend does not want to let go of the pandemic, never speaks anything but doom and gloom, but says I'm not going to quit until I know we're out of this, as if he's the only one that can bring us through. Uh, Joining us now, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Uh, he's running for the Senate in Pennsylvania, currently in most polls uh, a tight second against Dave McCormick. And he's got three other people in that race. Once you get the nomination, it's also going to be tough to win in that very purplish but leaning blue state. Dr. Oz, there's Anthony Fauci for you. We're not quite out of this yet. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you forget about being an optimist. We're looking at a new variant of Omicron, which might be a bit more contagious, but doesn't seem to be any more dangerous. It's actually a way for more people to get natural immunity. But all along, we have watched Anthony Fauci give advice, top-down authoritarian advice, dismissive of the role of doctors, his one-size-fits-all belief that we can cure COVID by vaccinating everyone through it has been proven to be wrong over and over again. It was predictably incorrect very early on, and yet he will not say what needs to be said, which is the way to get through future COVID variants is to arm doctors so they can take care of their patients with better medications. And the Biden administration's incompetence at just getting proven therapies in the pharmacies so that doctors can use them is shocking to me. Once again, we're hearing that they're going to vaccinate six months to to five-year-olds now, as though they're a high-risk group, as though vaccinating two-year-olds is going to prevent 90-year-olds from getting a future variant of the virus. It's not all about vaccines, Dr. Fauci. Here's more from him when he talks about what will happen if we're not vigilant. Cut 31. We need to be flexible. And if, in fact, we do see a turnaround and a resurgence, we have to be able to pivot and go back to any degree of mitigation that is commensurate with what the situation is. So we can't just say we're done. Now we're going to move on. We've got to be able to be flexible. And be flexible. Is there anybody that, that really believes the stuff they were telling us with the six feet apart by, by wearing a mask outdoors, by wearing a mask at all? 
uh, by N95s. Don't wear them because they need to be fitted and you, they're actually going to be bad because you got to exhale. And now all of a sudden N95s are at universities all across the country. Does anybody think that we're going to go back to that chaos? It's always the false narrative. And this is an important message because we're seeing the same thing with energy policy now, which is why we're in a crisis with the Ukraine and with inflation here in America. You create a false narrative. In this case, the only way to get through COVID is through lockdowns and mandates. It's proven over and over again to be incorrect. Despite that, you notice how he ver- verbalizes that. It's all about the fact that mitigation efforts might be necessary. Well, if they were truly mitigating the virus, as you point out, six feet doesn't make a difference. The WHO says three feet. Going to the beach with a mask on doesn't help. And going to the beach is probably good for you in general, despite the fact you're ashamed by the New York Times, Washington Post, and legacy media for doing that during the, during the pandemic. The reality is, if they worked, we'd all be for them. They don't. Look at energy policy for a quick pivot here. Energy policy is based on a lie. The Green New Deal will not work scientifically. Forget about politics and you know all the other ways we can you know muck up the data. It just scientifically is impossible. What does work is natural gas, which is a very clean and effective way of say, of protecting the world, making us energy dominant, not just energy independent, and we'll drop energy prices. I'll give you a statistic that. One of the big energy producers shared with me, uh, he said, if we were allowed to ship our natural gas from here in Pennsylvania to other countries who burn dirty coal, it will be the equivalent every year for 30 years of electrifying every single vehicle in America, plus putting a solar panel on every house in America, plus doubling wind energy. That sounds pretty good to me. Yet we are not allowing our energy producers to do that. We've got the Fauci's of the world, middle-level, unelected bureaucrats, passing rules, making dictums, you know, proclamations that are not truthful and misleading us. Uh, so a couple of things. This just in two top stories in political right now. Uh, the fourth shot is coming our way, but we're going to have to pay for it. And number two is Omicron's a variant. Subvariant is coming our way. As a doctor, as well as a Senate uh, candidate, what should I know about this subvariant? The subvariant uh, is becoming the dominant strain in Europe already. It's about 35% of U.S. infections. It's more contagious, but it doesn't seem to be any more dangerous. So the vast majority of people will have a fairly mild episode, which should give them long-term protection from future uh, um, uh, COVID variants. And older folks need to be protected. We don't know if additional shots of the vaccine have a meaningful effect on severity of illness. Uh, they might benefit you by not letting you get sick at all, but you have to get, do that every couple months if you're going to do that. But again, one size fits all doesn't make sense. I was talking to a big group of college Republicans yesterday who are livid because they know the data. They're saying if we've already been vaccinated or, more importantly, already had the virus, like my son, by the way, already had the virus. He's a medical student. He's studying immunology. Medical school at Columbia is forcing him to get a, an extra booster shot. He's saying, guys, I'm studying immunology in our school. They're saying not to do it in our textbooks. And yet you're making up rules because, again, you're following the political science, not the science. And that infuriates young people. So most young people I don't think are going to be interested in, in uh, additional shots, especially if they've already had COVID, and in particular because there's a risk of myocarditis. Why take a risk? I hear you. So you got up today or yesterday and found out that the president of the United States is asking you to formally resign as one of the appointed members of the president's council on sports and fitness and nutrition, along with Herschel Walker. Not because you're not good at your job or Herschel is invaluable, but because you're run- because you're Republicans and running for office. How do you feel about that? 
Well, he fired the wrong doctor. He's supposed to fire Fauci. I don't know why he got it wrong, but I guess he gets everything wrong. And because he's not firing Fauci, he decides to come after me because I've been saying to fire Fauci. Let's be clear on this. President Trump uh, appointed me to not just one but two terms in the president's council, which was a president's council for fitness, sports, fitness, and nutrition was created back in the Eisenhower and Kennedy administrations. It's a nonpartisan effort to help young people stay healthy. You've got Bill Belichick on the pan. So you've got, you know, uh, Mario, Mario Rivera. We, we got a lot, Mariano. We got a lot of great people on there, including Herschel and me. So why would you now, in the middle of a of an inflation uh, acceleration that's the worst in 40 years, gas prices the highest in 15 years, a war raging in Ukraine that you that you led, you know, unfortunately with through weak uh, messaging may have uh, facilitated, and all that going on, and your mind is on sending me a letter to tell me to step down. And for a reason that I don't actually believe in the letter, by the way, Brian, it says it said it's emailed to me at uh, after 10 in the morning. It says, by the end of day, I must resign or I'll be fired. Now, first of all, is that how you say thank you? Exactly. you know, I'm trying to do something that right? I'm, I'm trying to help get more coaches. I'm trying to get kids focused on staying healthy. We've worked in this space you know, I, for years now. And if President Trump thought I was worthy of being on the council, if you don't want me on, that should have happened the day after you're inaugurated. Why would you do this months and months after Herschel and I have announced our candidacies? I, I actually think it's another example of incompetence by the administration, and I'm not resigning. I'm not going anywhere. So they're gonna. So they'll have to fire you. But they remember they got rid of HR McMaster. I actually think that's uh, terrible. But the guy knows more about battlefield, uh, the, the battlefields and the challenges diplomatically and militarily than anyone else. Sean Spicer was told to hit the road. Uh, Kellyanne Conway. They were fired too when they got over. And uh, General Keene was asked to re, re, uh, resign for the Defense Council. You ever talk to General Keene? The guy's a genius. He couldn't care less who's in office. The guy just wants to see America do well. So the way they bring politics, which is unnecessary, is so petty. Well, it's petty, and they don't have replacements that are able to do some of the things we could do. Herschel Walker is a hero for a, a lot of folks, and he can speak to, to populations that we can't get to otherwise. I started Health Corps, which is our kids' foundation. I raised $80 million to help kids learn more about their bodies, to get mental resilience as part of their training so they're tougher, they can deal with the challenges of life, which is what sports does for you. Like, why, why would you want to fire me now? Is this the right time to pick a fight? And what have I said about kids in childhood education that's so reprehensible that you want me off the panel? But it was also done in such a typically clumsy way. You don't send someone a letter after years of service at you know, 1030 in the morning saying you're fired by five unless you resign. Of course, you know, by the way, when people hear this, they go psycho. It's, uh, and you're not going to – you know, I'm a porcupine. I'm going to push back when this happens because it's, it's my nature. But, but in addition, I want to fight for my country, and the, the young people in this country continually are ignored. We have mortgaged our future with a debt that's the children's to pay. We have, with COVID, used children as a shield. You know, shut their schools down, put masks on their little faces with the argument that it might help older people, which it doesn't. So I don't like using kids uh, as fodder. I want to protect them. I'm the kind of person you want in the presidential council. But if you're going to get me off, do it for a reason that's justifiable. Otherwise, you know, I'm, you know I'd rather have you know, a, a people that I trust make decisions about who should be on that council. Right. And uh, uh, thanks so much, uh, Dr. Oz. What, Dave McCormick's out there. He's a fellow Republican. What do you, why are you a better candidate? I have fought on the biggest stage in everyone's uh, living room for the last 13 years 
against big pharma, big agrochemical companies, against big technology companies that's gone to war with the U.S. government. I've got scars to prove it. I know how to have a bold, loud voice to address the cultural challenges to getting America back on track. Washington right. gets it wrong, Brian, because they have different gotcha. values than we do. I'm the one to fight that. And you're also a broadcaster. You know I'm on a hard break. Dr. Oz, thanks so much. Best of luck in Pennsylvania. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney. Don't just hang in there on your investments. Call Talon Wealth and get peace of mind with active management of your portfolio. Dial pound 250 and save financial plan. Investment advisory services offered through Talon Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Past performance does not guarantee future results. So in a matter of moments, I'm going to go on and do a, a simulcast on FBN. They'll hear you and you'll hear them uh, with Stuart Varney. And then I'll be able to take some calls in. So line up, one 408 ideally. And we're going to be talking about what's happening with this war and financially and how it's affecting uh, the markets. That's what Stuart focuses on. But let's listen in now. 1051, here is Brian Kilmeade. Brian, here's my, my position. If we give Ukraine the right weapons... I think Ukraine could win. What say you? No question. And one of them is these harpoons. They're able from land to take out ships at sea. We know exactly where they're coming in Odessa. They know they're making sandbags. My goodness, did you see some of that video? While blasting Bon Jovi, can you at least give them the harpoons necessary to blow them up before they come ashore? Because my fear is... That as bad as Vladimir Putin's doing, losing 40,000, according to one NATO official, off the battlefield, 40,000, 10 to 15,000 dead. Mm. If he goes, takes Odessa, holds on to Donbass and Crimea, he'll go, look, now I got my buffer. Now I got, I've made the Ukraine a landlocked nation. What they got to do is start arming the Ukrainians to the way in which they promised to from NATO today. And this is what I want to hear from the Supreme Allied Commander, from Jan Stoltenberg. I want to hear... The, Ukraine, the objective is not only for Ukrainians to hold, but to win. Because we have to get exactly. rid of Vladimir Putin, the cancer of the Eastern Europe right now. Your former country, 6,000 more rockets to 7,000 more rockets. There's EU, there's the uh, NATO, there's the G7, all meeting for the same cause. This is a rare moment of unity. And only one man made it happen, Vladimir Putin. The president's got to step up. He's taken 100,000 refugees. Good. That's fine. Well, you know what? Poland's taken 1.8 million. Romania, about 600,000. So we're all sacrificing. At least give them what they need. We're not, they didn't ask for a no-fly zone today. They asked for tanks. Why not we get them, in, get them in tanks? Why can't we get drones to drop water? Why can't we get drones to drop food into the cities that are besieged? I think... To some degree, this administration is afraid of provoking the Russians and will also always follow rather than lead. That's my position. But I'm glad we're in agreement because I think a win, an actual win, Say it is possible. A military win is possible. And it's now's the time to strike. Uh, I just got to raise this one with you. The mayor of New York, Eric Adams, he's expected to lift this vaccine mandate for performers and athletes, but he's not going to, at this point, He's not lifting it for private businesses. Brian, that does not make sense to me. It doesn't. This is a guy who's power hungry. This crap was left over by the previous uh, mayor. He made it up. And now cops and firefighters, they got to go home. Their careers are over. But now Kyrie Irving, who never should have been prevented from playing, 
And uh, the Mets and Yankees, that's what it's about. Mets and Yankees more popular than the Nets and Knicks. So you couldn't tell Aaron Judge, you can't play because you're not vaccinated. So now Kyrie Irving can play home games like unvaccinated opponents can. But my goodness, while leaving cops who are making, I don't know, eighty to 120000 a year perhaps, or yeah. they start at 40000 Kyrie Irving was getting paid 20 million, 16 to $20 million for not playing half the games. And he's back to help the fans and morale. But what about the nurses, the cops, and the firefighters? Lift him up. It makes no sense. It's not yeah. you could easily do it. If you didn't make this policy, uh, Mayor Adams, so just divorce yourself from it. Yeah. Uh, and reverse course. Yeah. Come on. Open up New York City. Look, Midtown Manhattan is not half empty. It's, it's, it's not fully staffed at this point because if you're not vaccinated, you can't come back to work. Lift that restriction. Come on, Your Honor. Get us going again. Get us working again. All, Last word to you. Yeah, all except Howard Stern, the powerful radio legend, keeps saying that we should be in masks and still be distances and in our, uh, in our bunkers. That is the wrong mentality. we got to yeah. live our lives. we got the rules. Yes. Let us alone. This, Leave us America. alone. This is America. Ain't Thank that you. Tr- truth? Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to be watching you, the One Nation show, Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Fox News Channel. And I've just gotten word that you are going to be on, and you can wear jeans because we're going to be sitting at the desk. No one will ever know. Deal. Absolute deal. You got it, Brian. I'll be there in spades. Thanks, Thanks very so much, much. Indeed, fella. Go See you later. Stuart. Thank you. one 408 7669 I probably don't have enough uh, time for calls, which is, is kind of sad. But here is what Howard Stern said about COVID. Cut 28. Oh, and then you got all these wackos with their anti-mask, anti-vaccine. The reason they've um, lifted these mask mandates is because uh, we gave in to this small minority of people who are completely out of their mind who think masks are some sort of prison sentence and their freedom right. the, the gov- no they're not they don't even work i see what he always was counterculture and i just don't understand this whole i'm scared i'm gonna die attitude you have a pre-existing conditions handle it but what about the live and left live attitude let me live my life plus the guy's on a beach in the hamptons on long island or in new york city in an apartment that you could probably land a helicopter in the living room I mean, my goodness, why are you thrusting that uh, that weak attitude onto the rest of the country when you used to be leading people with great courage and pride? Unbelievable. You want to know people that are backwards? Listen to what you got to do now. If you wanted to go to an event with the first lady at the White House, this is the wife of Representative Byron Donalds. Cut 29. Well, I definitely don't believe there is a medical justification for this, Tucker, which is why I posted it on Twitter and let everyone know how ridiculous this mandate was. Not only do I have to come with a negative COVID test along with everyone else, but because I had COVID and have natural immunity and I don't need a vaccine, uh, the email from the White House said that I cannot eat or drink at the reception. And I also have to stay in a six foot bubble all by myself the entire reception. Uh, So it wasn't very inviting to say the what a joke. Are you kidding? I know they're important people, but my goodness, Jen Psaki got it twice, was double vaxxed and boosted. She's gotten it twice now. I mean, my goodness. Uh, so, I mean, if someone said that to me, I'm not going. A concert, you got to do that. I mean, guys like uh, there are certain people who will not make you show up if there's a vaccine mandate. I think we've all moved past it. Don't make a big deal of it. Let go of the restrictions. Don't be Canada, Australia, and certainly don't be China. Don't forget, One Nation, Saturday, 8 o'clock, repeated again at 11. That's coming up. 
But keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being there, everybody. Uh, it's Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from New York City. Boy, slowly but surely, is getting back on its feet. Uh, and I heard, hopefully, around the country and maybe more than ever heard around the world. We're going to talk to Roger Zakheim at the bottom of the hour. Doctor, he's the director of the Ronald Reagan Institute, former deputy assistant secretary of defense and member of the strategic uh, planning working group of the Forum for American Leadership. And why it's just important that Reagan attitude helped transition from the Soviet Union to Russia, of course, through Bush 41. We need that back. Vladimir Putin's an anomaly, I hope. Hopefully there's normal people in Russia that we can work with to a degree. I understand it's a different culture. But we have to rid this continent, uh, that continent, of Vladimir Putin. But he fights on. Just to report now that Vladimir Putin, they believe, according to our intelligence, is going to be looking west. Less Kiev, more Odessa. We better be ready. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Oh, and then you get all these wackos with their anti-mask, anti-vaccine. So the reason they've um, lifted these mask mandates is because uh, we gave in to this small minority of people who are completely out of their f-ing mind, who think masks are some sort of prison sentence and their freedom right. to be the, taken the, away. Yep. Yeah, that is Howard Stern. And he is uh, a rare talent and just so timid about this. COVID-19 is done. So finding it hard to say goodbye is the story. It's receding in every aspect of our lives. We know how to handle it. We don't need any guidance for it. we got to make sure our economy continues to stand up. But people like Howard Stern say keep the mask on, stay six feet apart, and stay in your basement. It is insanity how many countries and some states, some cities are still saying keep the mask on. Don't go uh, don't go into any place indoors without a mask and keep it on outdoors. This has got to stop. Number two. I think initially he was at 50%. I think people were approving that he didn't get us into a war. But now they see that Biden, they feel, is not really providing American leadership at a time of global crisis. And he's got to step up to that or or the ratings here are going to drag him down along with the rest of the ratings. Republicans just months from taking back Congress, perhaps. Polls show America's ready for a change. They are tired of the woke Green Party putting homeless and illegal immigrants uh, first ideology. Now Republicans can rally not just their party, but the country. The question is, do they have the plan to do it? We'll discuss. Number one. The war of Russia is not only the war against Ukraine. Russia started the war against freedom as it is. This is only the beginning for Russia. Russia is trying to defeat the freedom of all people in Europe, of all the people in the world. That is Vladimir Zelensky, and his, his message is totally correct and on point. One month in, Ukraine can win. Defying experts and intelligence and Russian bear, and the Russian bear is buckling, for, but it is not broken. NATO is rallying at this hour to help, to help more, and they do want to help. Let's see what they say when they communicate, which should be soon. Let's hope they have to use this opportunity to slay Putin, not delay his ascension, not allow him to fight another day. We'll bring it to the battlefield and to Brussels. So let's go to the battlefield first. 
where this is the story. In Odessa, they're, being, uh, they're getting set to be attacked by three sides. One side will be from ships, uh, the amphibious landing, uh, then through Mikolek, uh, which is uh, still holding on miraculously, uh, they hope. And then Mold- even Moldova is not safe. It looks like Vladimir Putin wants the entire Black Sea, and he'll get it if he keeps it. So uh, Mariupol, uh, Mariupol is holding on, but it's been rubble to the most part. And I don't know what can be done to get them food and water. I still say the drones could be the best option to be able to drop it from the sky. The good news for NATO and for Ukraine, they've killed between seven and 15,000 Russian troops. And for the most part, they say between captures, desertions, and between uh, those taken as uh, and those people killed or wounded or just doing self-mutilation wounds, it looks as though the Russians no longer have, have access to 40,000 soldiers. Remember, they had 150 now begging Belarus to get in and are begging Syrians to unite and fight. But Syria's president's like, I don't really want to send them over there. No kidding. Remember, they lost, uh, by comparison, Russia lost about 15,000 troops over 10 years in Afghanistan. In one month, they could have lost that much. They also lost their top economic advisor. He has deserted the country, Antonio Shubis. He's been a reformer since the 1990s. Uh, they said he just left. Their defense minister, the ever-present defense minister, who told Vladimir Putin reportedly that uh, this will be easy, he is missing. Heart problems. Oh, really? Also, they've arrested FSB agents they say was hired to pay off the mayors and officials in these Ukrainian cities just to turn over their cities. Well, it turns out these FSB agents either did it and they pocketed the money or didn't do it at all. And now they've been arrested. So good luck with that chaos around you. No more Politburo to fear or to lean on. Vladimir Putin, you are on your own. Sanctions are working to a degree. The ruble's down 30%. But they're beginning to stabilize. Russian oil is selling as little as $30 per barrel, but they are selling it. It is keeping their war machine going. The EU has a plan to cut Russia gas by two-thirds by the end of the year. They need it now because every day that goes by, the Russians can fuel their war machine is a day where more and more people die. I mean, in, in, uh, in Mikulik, Mikulik, they say they're putting out 100, they're taking 100 bodies a day minimum into, uh, into the morgue. So there is no t- their time is going well if you're just in pure fa- uh, battle speed. Uh, if That's great. It looks as though in, Marib- uh, in and around Kiev, it looks like the Russians have pushed back to now 40 kilometers. And also they're losing some of the suburbs they had recaptured. They also have recaptured some other areas, some other suburban areas they had lost. And the one that they got, Kyrgyzstan, has been nothing but a headache for them. We do, nobody there accepts the new mayor they put in place. Nobody there accepts that these Russians are actually in charge. Good luck. You have a problem in Kyrgyzstan? How are you going to do a city like Kiev or Kharkiv? But these cities that have been, have been destroyed need provisions, I warn you. So here is uh, Vladimir Zelensky talking about what is happening today to NATO and telling him, yeah, this is Ukraine, but it's also you. Cut for. The war of Russia is not only the war against Ukraine. Its meaning is much wider. Russia started the war against freedom as it is. This is only the beginning for Russia on the Ukrainian land. Russia is trying to defeat the freedom of all people in Europe, of all the people in the world. It tries to show that only crude and cruel force matters. It tries to show that people do not matter as well as everything else that make us 
people. That's the reason we all must stop Russia. The world must stop the war. I thank everyone who acts in support of Ukraine, in support of freedom, but the war continues. The acts of terror against peaceful people go on. One month already. So it's one month in, they are still alive. They've only lost one city, and that's even in doubt. I worry about what's going to happen in Odessa. You have a great column by Josh Rogan today. talks about talking to mayors in the region, and they expect and see signs that Russia's going to attack from three sides. It's going to come from the north. It's going to come from the east, and it's going to come up from the south, and they're going to be hit. Uh, Moldova is also not safe, they went on to say, as I mentioned before. Uh, they need some uh, some uh, javelin missiles to take out the tanks as they come in, but they also need harpoons to take out the ships. Why would we not get them this? It makes no sense. But U.S. officially yesterday accused Vladimir Putin of committing war crimes. That against civilians. Blinken did the same thing about their brutal attacks. Of course, there's reports that they're just going into houses and seeing the people hiding in their basements and shooting them in cold blood while ransacking their house. Let alone just aiming for schools and hospitals and theaters that they know people are in. This is the utter definition of a war crime. Evidently, Vladimir Putin doesn't like that, doesn't think that it's going to help his reputation. Too bad. So they're losing some people. They're losing their esteem. They are definitely not making any friends. In fact, it's making very hard to be friends with them. The Ukrainians have countered with victories in and around Kiev. One place is Irpin, northwest suburb of Kiev. Congratulations there. Uh, Mayor Klitschko said the battle is ongoing for the village of Lichis, which is 20 miles to the north of Kiev, and confirmed the retaking of uh, Makariv, which is west of Kiev. Now, I'm looking at footage of it. Man, that place is wrecked. There's still a Russian presence, but they do not run the state. Awesome. When we come back, I'm going to talk to one of the most important interviews I'll do, Kathleen uh, Skama. She's the president of Western Energy Alliance. She signed a letter saying, Mr. President, your attitude and what you did through executive orders really destroyed the gas and oil industry. Stop vilifying us. Now I'm going to ask her that and also how we get her drilling again, everybody working again to be able to fill the gap, backfill the Europeans so they can get off Russian oil and gas. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Let me give you an example. Um, there, there have been some, including the American Petroleum Institute, who have claimed that this is an issue of having access uh, or funds. Um, the oil and gas industry has a lot of permits. Onshore alone, more than 9,000 unused approved permits to drill. And I would note that only 10% of drilling is happening on federal lands. The other 90% is on private lands. But I'm talking about the 10% in that case. So the argument that there are just no opportunities to drill for oil is just not true. Really? But what about the regulations you put in place? And are permits all it takes? I haven't seen Jen Psaki in a hard hat in the oil fields, but maybe I just have, have to get out more. Kathleen Skama joins us now. Uh, Kathleen is the president of the Western Energy Alliance. Uh, that represents 200 member companies engaged in all aspects of environmentally responsible and exploration and production uh, of oil and natural gas in the West. Kathleen, I want you to thanks so much for joining me. I want you to take on Jen Psaki's comments. I imagine you hear that and you, your head you, your head wants to explode. Well, actually. 
actually what she said is correct. And, but the, the, the spinning of it is what's the problem. So we are indeed lucky that in the United States, only 10% of our oil and natural gas production is federal. Because if more were federal, then we wouldn't be the number one producer of oil and natural gas in the world. Because the federal government puts up so many roadblocks on federal lands that we're lucky that the most prolific basins, the Bakken in North Dakota, the Haynesville in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Ohio, the uh, Permian in Texas and New Mexico, we're lucky that those predominantly are on non-federal lands. But in the Rockies, where I am, I'm in Denver, we have a lot of public lands. And the most prolific basins in the West do have public lands. And it's almost impossible to develop in the West without touching some federal lands or minerals. And so when we do hit a pocket of federal minerals, we have to go through this whole years long process in order to develop. And so with it's, it's, it's bad enough in normal times, but when you have an administration that is putting up additional roadblocks and drawing out the process, putting up more bureaucracy, starting off with more new regulations, trying to starve our industry of capital, then it really becomes very difficult to operate on federal lands. And I'd love to take on the 9,000 permits and leases if we have time for that. Yes, right now. Go ahead. Great. So, indeed, there are about 9,000 outstanding permits on federal lands. So, she is correct in that respect. However, um, a permit to drill is not the only per- permit that's necessary. We need rights of way, which also come from the federal government, in order to lay the pipelines and the gas gathering lines. Because we now, because of pressure from investors and from um, environmental groups, we don't want to flare at all anymore. So we want to capture all the natural gas right away. And and that's probably a good thing, although in some senses when the nation is, uh, when when there are high gasoline prices, we can't turn on those oil wells as quickly as we could in the past. But we want to reduce flaring, but we need pipelines in place to capture that gas. And guess what? Environmentalists stop pipelines all across the country. So if we can't get the rights of way and the pipelines, to put that natural gas in, we can't develop that oil well. So that's one reason some of those permits don't go drilled. Another reason is that the federal government is so inefficient that companies have to get in hand several years of drilling permits before they can really start because they don't know how long it will take the federal government to get any one particular permit. And you don't want to get into a situation where you've drilled a a certain number of wells and then you have to stop your rig to wait for federal permits because that permit could take a month, two months, six months, a year. So we do have to, because of the inefficiency of the federal government, we have to have several permits in hand. And not several, but many. So you might have a well pad that um, has eight wells on it, um, but that well pad can be drilled in a matter of months, and then you want to move on to the next one. So we need to have many years of permits in hand, and sometimes you start off drilling, and that one well or a couple wells determine that, you know what, there really aren't enough there isn't enough oil and natural gas on this particular lease. Um, we're not going to drill all these other permits that we thought we were going to. So it's those inefficiencies in the federal permitting system that does cause us to have that large inventory, and not all of those permits get drilled. So is that part of the reason Excel pipeline wasn't done? They've had three years to get it done, but environmental challenges and court cases stopped that thing from being finished? Well, the Keystone XL pipeline story started out, I think it was in the mid-2000s. 
and they started going through all the processes and then they were required to get a uh, permit from the Department of State because the pipeline crosses into Canada. And so the the uh, that's another reason that permits don't get developed. I haven't even talked about that. The environmental analysis. Um, now, environmental analysis is great, except it's used to delay projects and stretch them out for years and years. And that's what happened with Keystone. Its environmental analysis took all this time. And then the Obama administration came in and stopped the permit. The Trump administration then restarted the permit. And then, of course, we know the Biden administration came in and stopped the permit. So it's very susceptible to government manipulation, political manipulation. And it's unfortunate that the process in the United States for so many things, not just pipelines, roads and bridges as well, can take so many years, increase the cost so long, and give opportunities for environmental groups to sue on that environmental analysis and also to right. just stop things outright. So um, I'm looking at Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase. He wants to drill more. He said the Biden administration has been struggling to convince oil and gas companies to increase production. That's a totally inaccurate assessment. Is that right? Well, they really haven't set this, sent the right signals to the industry. Um, they continue to move forward with a regulation out of the SEC that is designed to starve our industry of capital. So we have this signal, oh yeah, they want us to drill more now because they're in hot water, because you know voters and, and, and Americans are beating down their doors because gasoline prices are high. So they're saying to us, yes, we want you to, to, to drill more now, but we don't have any assurance that they're going to stop with all this new over-regulation, and we don't have the insurance that they're not gonna put future capital at risk. So that well we drill today, be, could carry additional risk tomorrow. Right. And so it really is chilling the marketplace. Real quick, Kathleen, could you get natural gas to Europe quickly? Well, we're very proud that in January we delivered more natural gas via liquefied natural gas exports uh, to Europe than Russia did through pipelines. We could export more. Um, we did have the administration approve two LNG export terminals last week. So we take that as a good sign. But if we can't get pipelines to deliver the natural gas to those LNG export terminals on the coast, then, you know, it almost becomes a moot point. Gotcha. So we need the administration to move forward with pipelines and LNG. Thanks, Kathleen. Very educational. I'm pulling for you guys uh, and respond because you're very responsible and we need it. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A strong um, solidarity and unity. Uh, um, confirmation of the reassurance given to our eastern uh, neighbors uh, uh, in the alliance. France is redeploying a, a aircraft carrier. We send more troops to Estonia and to Romania. We mobilize our jet fighters, for instance, but also... Um, not only NATO summit, but also G7 summit and EU summit, three summits, discussions during these summits with President Zelensky and the reaffirmation of our support to the Ukrainians and also of our resilience, for instance, less dependency on uh, energy imports from Russia. You know, it's amazing. All this stuff we're doing because of one country, one country. And that one country has brought all of NATO together. And you see how more troops are going to go into those areas. So it'll be a tripwire. You attack Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, any of the Eastern European nations at Romania that are there are vulnerable. You're going to get hit. Roger Zakheim knows about that old Cold War uh, lineup. 
A lot of Eastern Europe is now part of it. On our side, he's director of the Ronald Reagan Institute, former deputy assistant secretary of defense and member of the strategic planning working group of the Forum for American Leadership. Roger, welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, Roger, first off, does this uh, deja vu all over again, the 1980s, Russia's then Soviet Union against the world? Well, history doesn't repeat itself, Brian, but it rhymes. And it's important we learn the lessons from history. And one of those is peace through strength. People don't attack you if they think you're too strong. And how do you label us right now? We're not strong enough. Uh, Biden administration leaked out today that their defense budget for next year fails to keep pace with inflation. It's a meager 3% increase. And as a form for American leadership outlined in its paper, we're still waiting for a national security strategy outlining how they want to posture our military and our strategy to deal with the threats across the world. We're focused on Russia right now, rightfully so. But as you know, we have to focus on China, too. To be American leadership requires global presence and global leadership, and we're falling short. So with this administration supposedly has all the experience. Who is expected to do that paper? Well, it comes out of the National Security Council, and um, that's the National Security Dri- uh, Advisor's role. But ultimately, it's the president that has to sign it, it out. And understandably, they want to revisit their strategy document in light of Putin's aggression and Russia's war in Ukraine. It suggests that somehow they were not focused on Europe adequately. Maybe they were thinking about outsourcing security, uh, leaving a vacuum there. That, of course, is no longer credible. It wasn't credible in the past, but it's certainly not something anybody should subscribe to now. So what do you think, uh, you know, we miscalculated. We thought the Russians were better than they were, and we thought the Ukrainians were weaker than they were. There's really no excuse for that because we sit on the sidelines and we're watching just one free country be cut up by a a soulless army who prides themselves now, it seems, of shooting innocent people and loses every one-on-one contest with the Ukrainians? Well, the Russians certainly are not 10 feet tall, but what is the challenge and why uh, the security of Ukraine and and securing Europe is something we need to focus on is Vladimir Putin. You know, his will is clear. His intent is clear. We didn't take it seriously enough in 2008 when he invaded Georgia. Nor did we take it seriously enough in 2014 when we invaded Crimea. He has the munitions. He has the bombs, the ability to destroy Ukraine, and that's what we're witnessing. So, yes, his military is not 10 feet tall, and Zelensky and the Ukrainian people have shown themselves to be great fighters and people of strong will, and that's why they're still in the fight. But let's be clear. The longer this goes on, the more it disadvantages the Ukrainian people. Right. Unless the Russians continue to lose people uh, from the battlefield, we know they're running out of gas and provisions. There was one report they only had three days left of food, and they have not taken one major city, and they're trying to move on Odessa while giving up on the capital. And with their communication so poor, I don't know how they could be optimistic that time would be on their side. It's true that Vladimir Putin's military is failing to advance into the cities. But it's also true that he has no compunctions about bombing Ukrainian cities, destroying those cities. That's what we're witnessing every day. 24-hour news is reporting it. And Vladimir Putin's goal here may not be to occupy and control Ukraine. It may be to kill Zelensky and remove this government, and that may be enough. And we, that is the West, the United States, NATO, can't allow Vladimir Putin to prevail on that front. He cannot have the ability to go in and just mercilessly, without any constraints or restraints, bomb 
Ukrainian cities and threaten the Zelensky government. So the question is, will sanctions, along with the frustration that Ukraine is inflicting on Russia and their decreasing numbers, if 40,000 are really taken off the battlefield in one way, shape or form, as one NATO official said, uh, will it be enough to squeeze them for a change in leadership or something else? Here's Steve Ratner, former economic advisor to President Obama, Cut 15. The economy continues to deteriorate. You can take a look at at what's been happening to inflation and GDP and what the banks are forecasting is likely to happen. You can see inflation, which is estimated this year to be a stunning 15 percent. We think our 8 percent is obviously very, very uh, unfortunate. Their 15 percent is a heck of a lot worse. And they've been having widespread shortages and widespread spot inflation. The price of sugar went up by 14 percent alone last week, and so they have banned sugar exports until August. Just to give you a sense of what's going on in the Russian economy with respect with respect to inflation. And, you know, according to some people, one human rights activist said in Russia uh, for, was there for work, uh, says the uh, was there to do a different story, he was saying that the morale of everyone is terrible. The FSB, uh, the people responsible for the, the, the intelligence that said that Ukraine was going to roll over are in jail. Their defense minister seems to be missing. This guy, Antolio Chubis, who was there when Ronald Reagan was there, uh, he's a reformer. He left. He, did, he was their head of climate. So he's just gone. And the, uh, they say the defense minister has heart problems. We know what that means. So there are some well, things that could be shaking the foundation of Russia at this moment. No doubt. And the sanctions are important. It's a necessary condition, as you know, not a sufficient condition. We need to give the Ukrainian ar- Ukrainians arms. They need to continue to have the firepower to respond to Russian aggression. But this is Putin's war. This is what happens when you have countries with nuclear weapons led by autocrats. He's in his own echo chamber. He's isolated. This is where China comes in. The key relationship for Russia right now is the relationship with Xi and China. That is where Putin is looking to bail him out economically. That is where Putin is looking to bail him out militarily. And that's why you know, our Forum for American Leadership strategy document emphasizes the need for a strategy that understands that U.S. leadership uh, needs to be present in multiple theaters in the world and that the pacing threat is China but also Russia. And the two work together in a strategy for the United States is one that responds to that and recognizes that. Yeah, I'm talking to uh, Roger Zakheim with the Reagan Institute. Uh, Roger, a couple of things. Number one, if you are behind closed doors right now in NATO and they're going over the EU, going to have G7, really showing a sign of unity, I don't really remember ever in my lifetime. So they're gonna, when they come out with a statement, do you believe that China should be in that statement? Because they are the number one supplier in backstopping Russia the best they can. Should they be told that's not acceptable? I think whether we name China or make it clear we're talking about China – Uh, is important, particularly this game that China is playing, that somehow they want to be a mediator, but at the same time are supporting and backing Vladimir Putin. We saw that before the Winter Olympics with their meeting. We've seen that in their communication subsequently. China and those who will not call out Vladimir Putin and Russia for their war crimes have no place in mediating or trying to lead diplomatically to resolve this war. That would be a very important message to be included in any statement coming out of NATO or G7 or the EU. I mean, my, my, in reading a lot of insight the best I can to find out what China's thinking, evidently they're going to be way short of their economic goals. The whole elimination of free enterprise and any degree of free uh, capitalism and the redistribution of wealth, 
has resulted in unemployment and a very, I guess, slow-growing economy. And President Xi's up for another five years and wants a lifetime appointment. Do you think that he really thinks it's necessary to take in these sanctions for their good buddy who's been humiliated in the last month, Russia? From there, Put yourself in their perspective. Is it worth it? I think for Xi, he feels a long play. It's worth it because he gets energy from Putin. He understands that he will never have the allies that the United States and the West has. And Putin's actually carrying out work for Xi in the form of challenging NATO, distracting uh, the West, the United States, away from the Indo-Pacific. So Xi has a lot to gain here. It's not without risk, as you point out. But there is definitely some upside. Listen, Xi and Putin have something in common here. Their biggest fear is freedom. They don't like the color revolution. People like Zelensky is who they fear most. And therefore, even if they suffer economically, even if they don't keep the same pace of growth uh, economically for their people, that matters less to them than staying in power and making sure that free countries and free societies don't creep up next to their border or inside their country. The, the, in case you don't know this, today uh, in addressing a closed session of the NATO officers, he did not ask Delensky to get into NATO. He did not ask for a no-fly zone. He asked for tanks, and he asked for a way to blow up ships that are coming, might be coming ashore in, uh, on Mariupol. They're shelling and might be coming ashore in Odessa. If you get them that, and they can hold off, and you can wear them out. Is it wrong to make a statement that we believe that Ukraine can win? We see Ukrainians winning every day on the battlefield, and that's not wrong. I think it's a description of the facts. We need to give them more support so they could ultimately prevail. But, Brian, as you know, every day there are battles going on, and best I can tell in the open sources, Ukrainians are winning. The fact that Russians are not occupying their cities, their capital, is a reflection of Ukrainian strength and commitment and resolve. So uh, not only do I think it's something that they can put in there, they should put in there because it's the facts. True. Joe Biden— not leading on this front, uh, not really leading the charge. He's got to harangue Europeans to get off the Russian oil and further uh, their descent economically. But what do you think's happening behind the closed doors, and what would you hope to see when he comes out and meets the press? Well, I think there's two things going on here. One, they want to make sure that as NATO, the United States, President Biden, that they deter Russia from more adventurism. But they don't, as you were talking about before, try to carry out the same play against a NATO ally in the Baltics or Poland. That's really important. We need to have a security posture that is forces present, capabilities present, to make it clear to the Russians we won't tolerate that. And then second, what can we do to help the Ukrainians roll back Russia? There's too much high-fiving about Ukraine, uh, NATO unity. I mean, it's good. It's been positive, better than we've seen. But it's not enough, Brian. High-fiving that were unified while Russia is occupying and killing and massacring civilians in Ukraine makes no sense to me. The only time we should high-five, the only time we should celebrate NATO and Western resolve is when we roll back Russian aggression in Ukraine. Um, that would be a great idea. I mean, the fact that tanks would be leaving like they did Afghanistan would be something everyone would look forward to. And I was staggered to find out over 10 years they lost 15,000 troops. And the moms reportedly, this is the story, uh, in the Soviet Union were the ones who were outraged that wanted to end the war. What about now? 
when the numbers are between seven and 15,000 dead and 40,000 off the battlefield. What about now, Roger? Could that be decisive? The, the parents forced this thing to an end? Gorbachev and Putin are not the same person. What Gorbachev was doing in the 1980s with Glasnost and Perestroika and, 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 and listening and thinking about the needs of the Russian people is entirely not the mindset and approach of Vladimir Putin. This is an autocrat. This is a tyrant who lives in a bubble. And it's quite clear that he's willing to sacrifice his own people to advance his own maniacal plan here. Uh, it's not within the interest of gotcha. the Russian people. Roger Zakheim, always great to talk to you. Director of Ronald Reagan Institute, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. More to know next. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this hour. I like to finish it up with something we don't do enough ever since the war started, and that's finding out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. All right, get this. And this is disappointing for a former waiter, longtime waiter. Tips are shrinking as inflation rises. A variety of factors. During the pandemic, Americans felt bad. They gave more people more tip on an average of 30%. One reason tips may be decreasing is due to more business using online apps to make appointments and accept payments. When customers pay with cash, though, they tend to tip more. Many online payment services calculate tips raised on percentages. Full-service dining, however, is still seeing strong tipping habits. I always, I never go uh, less than 20. I usually go way more. Unless the service is intentionally horrible. Now, what, is there a minimum that, or a max or a minimum that you would hit even if it's bad oh, I, service? I mean, I've never. I just do it. I mean, I free, by the way, don't double the tax because you don't tax alcohol. Yeah, that, that's, that's a big old, mistake. That's an old mentality. Right. So, they, yeah, don't tax. do that. What you do is understand people make hardly any money per hour because they think you're tipping them. This whole 16 non-gene project coming out and saying that that's dating back to slavery. No, it's fundamental capitalism. You do good work, you get more. Next, meritocracy. MSNBC op-ed is roasted for claiming that fitness is essential to fascism. This world, this uh, woman, Cynthia Midrell, uh, Miller Idris, a professor at American University studying polarization and extremism, wrote that far right has taken advantage of the pandemic trend of at-home fitness to further expand its radicalization views. I mean, what are you even talking about? Physical fitness has always been central to the far right, she says. In Mein Kampf, Hitler fixated on boxing and jiu-jitsu. The intersection of extremism and fitness leads to a shared obsession with the male body training masculinity, testosterone, strength, and competition. Really? The male body? Are women taking fitness classes? Did I miss something? Here's the other thing. Boxing. I'm a huge boxing fan. I watch it every time. There's two sets of fights on this weekend. I guess now I am like Hitler. No, but if you box, you would be a fascist. Uh, Okay. Right. Mussolini had great abs. So that's what's the problem. It ruined fitness for everybody. Uh, I mean, this is just crazy. You know what I'm happy about? I think everybody listening to this thinks it's crazy. Next. Woke Home Depot training causes an online stir. The flyer that was reportedly posted on break a room in Calgary, Alberta, had Home Depot show the home movement giant logo entitled Leading Practices Unpacking Privilege. Really? It asks employees to literally check their privilege, whether it's white privilege, class privilege, Christian privilege, cisgender privilege. What is that? Yep. All right, whatever. Able-bodied privilege or heterosexual privilege. Just stop being privileged. 
So basically, we have privilege in every almost actually in every one of these categories. Right. Every single one. Why did privilege. I even go? Why did I even go to Home Depot? I might return my apron. No. What about chains? Do you buy like chains and stuff? You mean chainsaws? Yeah, chains, chainsaws. Oh, okay. The two pager goes on to encourage workers to discuss white privilege and race with their colleagues. Are you nuts? If you ever want to not have a friend, say, hey, do you have a second to talk about white privilege and race? Okay, fine. You know what? I think, uh, I think I'd rather eat in my car alone with the heat on. I'm going to have these conversations with Eric uh, during the commercial. Break. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Disney, Eric doesn't talk to you. Uh, Disney, Disney workers threaten more strikes unless the firm stops building attractions in Florida. Guess why? Because they didn't come out strong enough against the Ron DeSantis bill that prevents teachers from teaching preschoolers, kindergartners, first graders, and second graders anything about sex. They call it, to dumb it down, the no-gay bill. The, the, the don't-say-gay bill. But you're, I mean... Fourth grade and up, they're allowed to teach it. What's I don't understand. Well, that's listen the to right it. Disney, Disney's in, and uh, they just just make a stand. I mean, that's what happens when you try to please everybody. You worried about taking one side over another. So Disney's in trouble. Hey, keep building your rides. Forget about these wackos. They can't afford to go to your park anyway, and they're not working out. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.